This podcast is supported by .tech Domains, a domain extension designed with the tech community in mind. .tech Domains allow you to create strong, tech-focused positioning for your brand. The .tech extension offers a ton of availability, so you don't have to compromise on your domain name. And it's intuitive and descriptive, which will help you create a great first impression and stand out in the crowd. Big brands are already using the .tech extension, including Viacom, CES, and Intel. The .tech domain has also been great for startups. In fact, startups using the .tech extension have already raised $500 million in funding. Whether you are looking for a domain for your tech startup, tech blog, or personal portfolio, a .tech domain is the way to go. Get your .tech domain today at www.get.tech. And be sure to use coupon code BESTTECHIE to save 96% on all one-year and five-year registrations. Pricing for one-year registrations start at just $1.99. Again, that's www.get.tech and coupon code BESTTECHIE. Hey guys, Jeff here from BestTechie.com, and this is Techie Bytes episode 30. Today I'm speaking with Stacy Ferreira, co-founder and CEO at Forge. We discuss tips for how founders can successfully fundraise, the best ways to ask for intros, and why millennials don't actually ruin everything. Enjoy. This podcast is supported by Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your own professional website. Choose a template you love or start from scratch, drag and drop to customize anything, and use advanced design features like video backgrounds and image galleries. You can even add professional business solutions like an online store, booking system, or blog. I've personally tested and reviewed Wix on Best Techie and can say without a doubt that Wix is extremely easy to use and a great choice for both novice and advanced users. So go ahead, try it yourself. Go to Wix.com and create your own website today. That's Wix, W-I-X.com. I'm here with Stacy Ferreira, co-founder and CEO at a company called Forge, changing the way millennials work. Um, she's also a good friend of mine and a Teal Fellow from 2015. She's also done a ton of speaking, including for the State Department, and she even co-authored a book called Two Billion Under 20. So Stacy, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you on. I think this is going to be a, a really good episode. Um, I just, you're super smart and I'm, I'm excited to have you here. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Awesome. So tell me, tell us, tell my audience and as well as me, just kind of like a little bit about who you are, uh, what you do, you know, on a more detailed level than kind of what I just overviewed. Yeah. Um, so who I am, uh, you know, my name is Stacy Ferreira. I think a lot of people would describe me as as kind of an entrepreneur and author. Um, but I guess the way that I describe myself is, you know, someone who's curious about the world and wants to learn and, and solve problems. So um, that's kind of a very short overview of me. But mm-hmm. um, that's kind of a little bit about me and, and what gets me excited in the mornings. So, so what are you? So, what are you doing right now? You're building a company called Forge, right? I am, yeah. And so, Forge is a company um, that I started a few years ago now. And basically, before starting Forge, uh, I, I published a book called Two Billion Under Twenty with a good friend of mine. And that book was exploring the millennial generation and kind of the ways that people choose what they want to do in life. And one of the big kind of takeaways that I had from that book was that really the way that people want to work is changing. And we see this a lot, you know, you probably, everyone listening to this probably remembers that there's a period of time where um, there was kind of the rise of this uh, concept of flexible work. You think Mm -hmm. of Uber and Lyft and Upwork and DoorDash and Amazon Flex and all these businesses that allowed people to kind of pick and choose 
what hours they were working. And that was something that was talked about a lot kind of in the media and the press. But one of the things that wasn't talked about as much was um, kind of the, the flip side of that, right? Which is who are all the other people that are experiencing flexibility in their work? And I think it wasn't talked about as much because it's been happening for a while. People with these white collar jobs, um, you know, you and I, all we need is our laptop and, and phone and we can kind of do our work from anywhere. And so I started looking at that saying, all right, you've kind of got, you've got these people who are all working flexibly. Well, what happens to the people that are kind of smashed in the middle of that, right? The folks who are um, working hourly jobs in retail and restaurants and hotels, how do those people experience flexibility? And the answer was they, they don't really. And so the kind of premise behind Forge was, could we build flexible scheduling software so that those people working hourly jobs could pick and choose the hours that they want to work and go work and get paid? Gotcha. Now, I, I remember, um, I guess before you even started the company, you know, we were talking and you were you were kind of describing this, you know, do you see you and, and also asking me, do you see like this as like a a thing that people want and, and doing a lot of research? I guess at that point you were doing a lot of research into whether or not it made sense to start the company. And you just were kind of thinking about it, thinking it through. Um, what made you ultimately decide to, to go through and, 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 and start this company? Yeah. So you're spot on, you know, before starting it, uh, I have this whole saying, which is don't start a company just to start a company. I really wanted to vet the idea and make sure that there was a need for the software that we're building um, to both of our customers. So I I recognized pretty quickly, you know, if we're going to build flexible scheduling software, as you probably heard me describe the problem, a little bit of it was coming from you know, I have a bunch of friends who work hourly jobs. I worked an hourly job growing up. Um, so part of the problem that I wanted to solve was for folks who didn't get that flexibility, which is the people actually working. But I realized that the businesses as well, they were going to be the ones using the software and purchasing it. So I went out and talked to, uh, you know, a bunch of people, probably a hundred people, if not more than that on both sides of the equation, people who are working hourly jobs and people who are owners and operators of these businesses, and really started asking them a bunch of questions about, you know, is this something that would, that you see a need for? And realize that on the business owner side, retention is a really hard problem. And one of the reasons why people leave working jobs is because um, they're trying to balance too many things, right? They're trying to balance school and a job or family and a job, or sometimes all three of those things. Um, so the businesses felt that they could retain people longer if they used our software. And then on the flip side, you know, there were no, there were were no, um, people that I talked to who were working hourly jobs who said they didn't want more kind of freedom and flexibility around their work. So after talking to all those people decided, all right, this is something that's worth kind of getting behind. Yeah. Pursuing. Absolutely. So I want to jump back in time just a little bit. Um, before Forge, you had actually started a, another company, I believe with your brother, correct? Um, and, and I, and I remember, I remember, I remember when you were working on that company because you had reached out to, to me to kind of tell me about what you were working on, I think through, through Twitter or something. And this was like, I don't know, this must've been, this must've been like, I feel like in the early, in the late like 2000 before maybe around maybe a little before 2010 ish maybe around 2010 i don't remember uh you probably have a better idea at the time because you were working on it then <laughs> but um you 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 raised money from sir richard branson uh for this company for this first company that you started and from what i understand there's a pretty interesting story behind that can you kind of give us a, give us a little taste of like what how that happened how did you first of all how did you meet sir richard branson how did you then convince him to invest in your company yeah <laughs> so this is uh you know the the power of twitter i think as you said i i probably reached out to you through twitter back in i think the time frame was probably 2011 because it was right after i graduated high school was when we started this business uh-huh. um but yeah so i you know, like, like probably millions of other people, I follow Richard Branson on Twitter. And one day in 2011, he sent out a tweet 
and it was just out to anyone, you know, as, as you do on Twitter, it just goes into the Twitter atmosphere. Yeah. The ether, (laughs) (laughs) the ether. Um, and he was like, you know, come meet me in Miami for intimate cocktails, donate $2,000 to charity. And then the next tweet gave an email address to email if people were interested in the opportunity. And, um, you know, I think this is something that he does pretty regularly for fundraisers or causes that he cares about. But at the time, you know, me being an 18 year old wanting to meet this guy who was one of the world's most well-known entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I picked up that email address and emailed him and said, you know, I want to come meet you and can my brother come too? And, um, he, his secretary, after we sent that email, secretary got back to us and was like, yeah, if you can donate $4,000, $2,000 a piece and be in Miami in 48 hours and you can meet with him. And, um, you know, make a long story short. <laughs> quite, quite, that's quite, that's quite a proposition for an 18 year old. Uh, it, right, it right? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I was, I was kind of sitting behind the computer screen. First thought was, wow, this is unreal. What an opportunity. And then the second one was, you know, I'm broke. How where do I, I get $4,000? <laughs> and where do yeah. I get plane tickets? Right. You know, how do you get a plane? Ticket exactly. So, um, yeah, make a long story short, you know, ended up borrowing $4,000 taking out a, a loan um, and then flying to Miami with my brother to meet him over the course of two days. And um, we we met him those two days, kind of pitched him on our idea. I think he liked that my brother and I were young and you know took this chance to go out there. Uh, and he and a few of his buddies, a, f- a few months later, we kind of kept the connection going over email but he and a few of his buddies ended up investing $1.2 million in, in that business. Um, wow. So that kind of kickstarted the, kickstarted the entrepreneurial career. <laughs> <in a big way. laughs> yeah, definitely in a big way. So I'm curious, like how, how did, how did you keep the conversation going after you initially met with him? Cause that's like something I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs sometimes don't do. And, 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 um, it could, it's, it's, it's not, it's it's not a it's not it's not a good idea not to do it right you know you always want to keep that conversation going so you you're on that person's radar how did, how did you do that yeah well as an 18 year old starting your first company you know you have a lot of questions mm-hmm. so um so keeping the conversation going was you know the first step was when we were in person in Miami we asked him for his direct email address and he wrote it down on a piece of paper handed it to us and then once we got back to Los Angeles, which was where my brother and I were building the company that summer, um, we we sent him first an email that was like, here are three questions that we have about things that we're working on. Um, and then just kind of kept sending questions and he would introduce what, us to people along the way. What, what was the process like when you were like about to sit, like when you were like, all right, we, have, we want to send him an email and what do we write? <laughs> and like, yeah. what, what, what was that process like? You know, you wanted to come across as like professional, but also that, you know, smart questions. And, uh, you know, so he would take you seriously. Um, just, you know, how, how did that, how did that go? And like, when you press send, like, what were, what were your, what were you thinking? Like, he's not yeah. going to reply or did you think he was going to reply? I think the, the thought process at the time was, he might not reply, and if he doesn't, at least we tried. So mm-hmm. I think that's kind of what we were thinking. But you know, my brother and I, being super young, I was 18; he was 20 years old at the time. You know, at that point in our life, we hadn't written that many emails. Um, today, I feel like I probably answer 100 emails a day, but back mm-hmm. then, not so much. So I remember my brother and I kind of huddling around <laughs> the computer for a few hours at night. Um, and and just trying to think through okay what do we say and then kind of nitpicking our words of hey should we change this word should we not and then eventually we just had to kind of have the attitude of hey this is just one email just send it out there and see if you get a response and then we did um and then it gets it gets easier from there i think you know Mm -hmm. whether it's in writing emails to important people or writing text messages to people that you are interested in in a relationship you know the first couple of them you kind of nitpick them and you're like should I say this should I not how should this be interpreted um, and then you kind of 
start to realize it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it'll, you just send it out there and see what happens. Yeah, I, I often think like, the you know, I, and I tell myself this and I tell other people who are who ask for advice, like, should I, you know, when it's, when it's like, should I send this email? Should I do this? Should I do that? And my response has always been the worst answer anyone can give you is no. And even that is not that bad. At least you tried, right? And and sometimes no is no, not right now. Not a no, not ever, right? Um, and... I, so that, that's just kind of the, the philosophy that I take with it. Like, there's you you have only something to gain and really nothing to lose at that you know at, at that point. Completely so. agree. So you so you've raised money for both for both for both the initial company you started with your brother, but now also Forge. Um, share some what are some what are some of the tips and things that entrepreneurs other entrepreneurs out there should know for a successful fundraise i know you've written about this pretty extensively and like you have a you know you you have a handful of kind of tips so what what can you share what can you share with us yeah definitely so there are a lot of like logistical tips on how people can go about fundraising which like you said i've i've written about extensively and happy to talk about um you know i think the first thing to set yourself up for a successful fundraise is understanding your business and making sure that you have the right metrics that are going to make you successful in that fundraise because at the end of the day um companies that are doing well get funded regardless of market and companies that aren't doing well don't get funded um so i think the first thing is like understand your business understand the metrics that um that really make your business successful Um, And then understand a plan of how do you grow your business? How much money do you need to grow your business? And then how do you grow that business? Um, How are you going to use those funds? And that's probably one of the most important things. I think a lot of people go into fundraising conversations thinking, oh, I can easily just fundraise because I have this great idea. Um, Mm -hmm. But you really need to understand how to use that money to to make it grow. So is it literally... Like sitting down with an ex- like an Excel spreadsheet and literally like listing out, all right, I need money for another developer or two developers, and and here's how much that would cost per year, right? And then I need money for uh, for office space and for a computer for that person or people, um, and, th- and and just kind of listing it out and like coming up with a sum and then you know figuring out, all right, this is how much we need to raise for the to be in operation for the next, let's say, 12 to 18 months um, in order to kind of reach our next set of goals. Is that what you're talking about? Like very simplistically, yes. I was going to say in every fundraise that I've done, I've had, um, you know, the key components. One are definitely that spreadsheet um, that has what's going to be your burn, how much money are you spending, itemized it the same way you just did, which is, you know, how much of this is payroll? How much of this is health benefits? How much of this is office space? How much of this is marketing budget? How much of this is um, technology budget, right? Mm -hmm. Itemizing that list. And then the thing that I always tell entrepreneurs and do myself is like plus 20% on whatever that number is because things always take longer than (laughs) you expect. (laughs) You always need a little bit more. And it's better to have buffer for that than to have to go back to investors later and ask for more money. Mm-hmm. So add 20% on whatever that number is. Um, and then other important like documents, just as we're talking about it for the fundraise, like your pitch deck, um, important. Because uh, a lot of times that's used, especially when you get into later rounds, series A, B, C. Um, so that's important. And then other than that, um, you know, I've got a whole data room of things that I typically send to investors from mm-hmm. our articles of incorporation to bylaws to employment contracts. And that stuff's, again, more important as you get into later rounds of funding. But it's good to keep all that stuff organized from day one so that when you're thinking about later rounds in the future, too, you've got all that stuff ready to go. Right. And so here's a question I know a lot of people have in terms of fundraising. It's should you take a meeting with an investor who can't, you know, who doesn't have the authority to cut a check, right? Is is that something a founder should spend their time doing, or is it really? Should you really only, you know, meet with a, a VC or a, uh, or an angel, you know, uh, group who 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 can actually write the check? 
Yeah, and I think it, it kind of depends on how excited you are about the fund. So when mm-hmm. I go through fundraising rounds, typically what I do is I, I'll bucket funds into funds or angels or angel groups into three different categories. And I call them my high, medium, and low categories. My high category are the people that hands down I want to work with. I'd take a check from them if they offered it to me. Medium is I want to work with these people. They might not have you know, domain expertise or exact knowledge on my business, but I still want to work with them. And then my low people that are like, I want to work with these people. They have absolutely no domain experience. They don't know anything about my business. It's going to be a check and a friendly relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of bucket in those three areas. And then um, typically I'll pitch my mediums first, just make sure I get my pitch down. Then I'll pitch my high folks once I've got all my mediums done. That way I know what all the questions are, the objections I'm going to get. Then I go pitch my high folks. Hopefully I've rounded up my checks. If not, then I go to my low folks and start pitching them to get them involved. Mm -hmm. Um, But the reason why I say you might want to talk to folks who don't necessarily have check writing capabilities, especially if they're in your high category, is because those people at the end of the day, though they might not be able to write a check themselves, they probably have a seat at the table and are in someone's ear about your company within their firm. Right. and that can be super valuable if there's like a tiebreaker where a few partners want to do the deal, a few don't want to do the deal. Um, if, if you can have the more advocates that you have around that table for you, the better positioned you're going to be. Right. They can now, kind of you've got to weigh that. Exactly. You've got to weigh that, though, with, you know, you're fundraising, but you're also building your business. So it's the busiest time of your life um, because you're trying to do two things at once. Right. So you probably can't meet with every single associate and every single um, principal and then your champion partner, um, you know, pick, pick a few people within the firm who are going to be your biggest advocates and make sure that you're building a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. Speaking of balancing uh, fundraising and running and building and running a company. Uh, so, <laughs> so when I, when I was, when I was building Kaya, one of the things I always thought was like, Oh, everyone talks about like fundraising and, and and like and then while also building the company is like the hardest thing to ever do that you ever you really have to do because you're focused on two essentially full time roles, right? And I was like, there's no way that that's the case. Like these people probably just making this up. And then I started doing it, and I was like, oh my god, this is like, this is this is intense. Um, so question is, how how do you balance how do you balance that uh, on your end? from running the day-to-day operations of your, of your business and, and building it, and also when you're in a fundraising state? It's really, really hard. Um, I think the <laughs> short answer is, you know, if you've built a team or you've got a co-founder that you can heavily lean on while you're going through the fundraising process, that's really, you know, the only way that you get through that because mm-hmm. you've got customers who are still... Um, you know, hopefully you've got customers who are still wanting things. <laughs> you're still trying to develop the product. Um, you're you're trying to manage your team and make sure that everyone's you know operating at their fullest capacity. And you're trying to be in fundraising meetings, which inevitably means you can't spend that time out with customers. You've got to spend it um, fundraising. So the only way that I've been able to kind of successfully get through that is have a team that I can heavily rely on and make sure that those people on the team are at a point where they understand the business enough and are good enough at their job that they can take on additional responsibilities to help make up for the work that I can't do while I'm fundraising. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really so good you, advice, yeah. Yeah, just having those people around you is so important. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, building a strong team definitely is is is, is crucial to any business. If, if, if you can't delegate you know, some of your your tasks and things that you have to do to other people in your company, well, A, that, that's a problem um, on, on your end, but also if you, if, if you don't feel comfortable doing that because you don't think they can do the job, that's also a problem, uh, and it means you probably didn't hire the, the best person for that particular role. So uh, I agree with you. I think that you know you have to have a strong team, some team that you can rely on to get the job done, even if you're not there kind of leading the charge, you know, so to speak, uh, at that particular moment uh, in time. So yeah, I think that's great advice. 
Uh, I want to kind of shift slightly. Uh, we were just talking about, obviously, fundraising and venture capital and things like that. Um, you started as an entrepreneur young, 18, as you mentioned, and you've raised money from several uh, investors over the years. I'm curious if you've had any kind of experiences uh, or know of any experiences that uh, from stories from other women entrepreneurs about the dif- uh, about difficulties in terms of raising VC money. And has it been? Have you found it to be harder for you to raise money as a woman, or or, or not? Yeah. So this is always a, a an interesting question for me. I, I have nothing to compare it against, right? I've I've never been a man, so I, I don't have <laughs> that True. experience to say if it's been harder than than what some of my male colleagues experience. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, regardless of your gender, male or female it's hard to raise money. You're getting people to part with sometimes hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, which is, I mean, there's, there's a saying that my dad always said growing up, which is if you think of how hard it is to make, think of how hard it is to save and then invest. Mm -hmm. And you're getting people to part with that, which is something that was probably fairly hard for them to, to make. Um, so I think it is, it is difficult being a woman. I think, you know, one of the things that we have to just think about historically is that women have not always um, had as big of a role in the workplace as men have had, just speaking pure, purely historically here. Mm-hmm. Um, so there might be some biases there. Um, you know, you always hear of these stories in Silicon Valley of investors wanting to invest in, um, you know, the, the guy who looks like them or the guy who reminds them of themselves. And because there are a lot of men and not a lot of women in investing roles in Silicon Valley, um, there aren't as many females out there saying, I want to invest in the girl that reminds me of myself. Um, But I think at the end of the day, as a woman raising money, just as a man raising money, um, you got to just make sure that you know about your business, that you know what you need to make your business succeed, and then go out and tell that story. have so, a good narrative. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if that no, no, really that, answers that, the question. But. It, do, it does. <laughs> and I, I'm, curious, I'm curious, do you think that, that, that as more women such as yourself continue to build businesses and find success and, um, you know, come into the tech space and, 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 and then want to invest in other companies or join venture capital firms, um, do you... Do you see that as a trend or, 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 or not so much at this particular point in time? Or like, is that something that you think could happen? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we're definitely seeing the numbers grow, right? The number of women in leadership positions, the number of women VCs, um, all this stuff is, is trending in the right direction. And I think the more people that we have in those roles that are female, the more it'll tell younger generations, hey, it's it's great that you have that as a goal, go do it. And by the way, here are three other women who have done this previously who can be your role models and your mentors in that journey. Mm -hmm. So I think we need more of it and I think we're trending in the right direction. Well, that's certainly good to hear. Um, and I'm, I'm, uh, especially coming from you, that means, that means it must be true. And I'm, I'm hopeful that that is the case. Um, changing gears, going to this is, has to do with raising money but it also has to do with just business in general i think that one of the there's an art form right kind of to asking someone for an intro for something could be anything could be for an investor could be for a business partner could be just to meet somebody and talk to them right um and i know you've written about this as well which is why i want to talk to you about it because i thought i read some of your articles and i thought that they were really um well written but also just full of really great advice um first of all is there a right way and a wrong way to ask for an intro i need to know yes okay um and so so what what is what is the right way to do what is the right way to approach asking for an introduction yeah so the right way to do it and i'll kind of speak from you know i've been doing this for not as long as some people but a long time um right way to ask for an intro if you're going to ask someone for an intro one be very clear about exactly who you want to talk to why you want to talk to them and what you hope to get out of the conversation 
So if I'm, if I'm going to you and I say, Hey, you know, Jeff, I need an intro to Richard Branson. I need an intro to him because he's built a lot of businesses in XYZ space. I'm interested in entrepreneurship and I want to learn from him A and B because what that does is it allows you then to come back to me and be like, yes, Stacy, you're right. He has built these things. I do think that he can help you with these two things. Um, and then that gives you the ability to say, do I want to put my reputation? Do I want to put my name on the line in making this introduction for Stacy? Mm-hmm. And, and hopefully we've already got some relationship there. So you know about me and you know that I'm not gonna, you know, waste Richard Branson's time. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's, it's, you know, how you actually go about getting that introduction and the way that makes it super easy for you to make that introduction is if I send you affordable email that outlines kind of exactly those three things. It says, hi, here's a little blurb about me. Here's who I want to meet. Here's why I want to meet them. Would you be comfortable making the introduction? And then that makes it super easy for you to just hit that forward button on your email and then make that introduction. Mm-hmm. So like in summary, make it very clear who you want to talk to, why you want to talk to them, make it clear that you not just, you don't just want an intro to get an intro to this person. You actually have a reason you're not going to waste this person's time and then make it mind numbingly easy for the other right. person to introduce by right. writing in a very succinct email, all those things. Right. No, I think, I think, I think that's, I think that hits the nail on the head. I, one of the things like, um, you know, you, especially when you're asking someone for the intro, you really do have to make it as easy as possible for that person to kind of facilitate the, the thing, the, the introduction. Um, because you know, they're going out of their way out there. Like you said, they're putting their reputation on the line, but also they're busy. Right. Um, and if you don't provide them, with, I think, with that additional kind of insight in terms of, all right, here's kind of like a snippet of what you can say, um, you know, in addition to whatever else you had sent them, um, just to make it easier for them so they don't have to spend less time kind of, oh, well, what do I write in this email? The Stacy, you know, is great, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she's doing this. And, you know, they have to kind of think through everything that they know. Meanwhile, if you kind of just give that uh, kind of little snippet to them, they can they can take it and run with it make it a much easier process all around yep completely and i was gonna say some people some people i find go halfway like some people will send a blurb in an email and not make it affordable that's okay it's still gonna take me a lot longer because like you said i'm gonna have to think about what i write to the person and then copy and paste that blurb so Mm -hmm. um you know, just making it so easy, just send something that I can easily forward. And if I have a good relationship with that person, it's going to be a one line that says, see below mind if I intro. Um, but if I've got to write a whole email myself around it, I'm just going to default to writing the emails that I've got to write for my own work. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, definitely. So another really cool thing that I mentioned at the, at the open of the, of the, of the episode was, how you are a speaker. You've done a, a number of different talks, TEDx talks, talks at different conferences, things like that. But you're also a speaker with the U.S. State Department, which I thought is really, really cool. And I know that you've been all around the world kind of doing talks for them. Um, I'd love to hear more about what kind of topics you speak about and, and, and where have you been in giving these talks? Yeah, so I do. I, I After I sold my social cloud Um, which was the first business that I started with my brother. I had a friend who was doing some work with the Department of Defense, and she knew someone who was in the U.S. State Department who was running this speakers program that the U.S. State Department has. And basically for the speakers program, what, um, what we do is we go to different countries and speak about, or I do this, people have a lot of different topics, but I speak about entrepreneurship, um, being a woman in tech, um, and just overall how people can grow their businesses, um, in, in different places. So it's a really fun way to get to see and hear from entrepreneurs all across the globe and kind of talk to them, not only sharing what I've learned, um, in my journey, building companies here in the States, but learn from them of the things that they've learned building their companies overseas. 
Mm -hmm. and um, places I've been, you know, all over the place, name a spot. I've been to (laughs) Egypt and Cameroon, the Central African Republic. Um, I did three different cities in Russia. I've done Mongolia and Romania. Um, So just a bunch of a bunch of spots that I, you know, without being a part of the program, I don't think I I probably wouldn't have had an opportunity to travel to. And just to see the different types of entrepreneurship, um, the different types of businesses that people are building in these places and the different challenges based off of where they are geographically, it's just really, really fascinating. If you had to kind of identify a trait or two that you've seen with entrepreneurs in your travels, what what, what would you say, what, what would you highlight that trait or two as? Yeah, you know, I think the biggest trait is probably grit when it comes down to it. Um, I'll, I'll give a I'll give a quick example. You know, I was when I was out in um, when I was out in the Central African Republic, capital city is the city called Bangui, and um, I met an entrepreneur there who his business was literally um, stringing extension cords with electricity from houses on the main road in Bangui out to the street and allowing people to plug in their um, phones to charge them on the street because not everyone has access to electricity. And when you think about the the things that this guy had to overcome, first, in a place where electricity, um, you know, at the time was not, was not a given, um, mm-hmm. to be able to go out and get these... Um, Kind of electric cords and then build relationships with all the homeowners um, and, and understanding that there's a market there and then going about that, uh, you know, first of all, kudos to that guy because he's yeah, definitely. super, super smart in making that a reality. But then also, um, you know, just having the grit to, to stick with it. I know he was telling me, you know, a lot of people thought that he was crazy, that this was uh, a crazy idea, you know, the people who own the homes with the electricity, why would they ever want to do this? Um, you know, you're never going to get those kind of partnerships and relationships. Who are you to do that? You don't own one of those homes. And he was like, no, you know, I'm going to go out and make it, make it happen. Um, and that's what he's doing to my knowledge still today. So amazing. Uh, great for him. That, that's a, that's a great story. And that's also just a great example of, of, how even when people say it can't be done right it, it, it can be done you know with with enough tenacity and and grit and you know the 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 the, the, per, the right person who wants to just make it happen can do you know can, can do that if they stick with it and they figure out a way to do it um so that, that's that was a great that was a great example i really enjoyed that uh so i want to talk more about you and and uh and and kind of what's your you know what's your day to day like like I I I I text you occasionally because you know we're both busy and I like to catch up with you sometimes and and you're like oh I'm doing this thing I'm going to some some dinner or that or I'm going to meet investors or we're working on you know building something for Forge and you know you're always working on something and I got I got I got to ask what what does your day to day schedule look like? Yeah, every day is every day is completely different. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'll I'll give you an example. You know, the past week I've been out, I've been traveling. We've got a partnership with a group that's out in Hawaii of all places. Um, so I've been out here, um, with those folks further solidifying the partnership and then doing the work that we've got to do out here in Hawaii to make the partnership successful. Um, so some days like like this week and like I will be later today, you know, it's all in on certain clients or certain partnerships. Um, kind of in the middle of this, I'll be on the phone with another client later this afternoon, um, helping them get up to speed on a few new changes that we've made to our product. Right. Um, and, and if you, and if you had to be, if you had to have a partnership somewhere, and do work from somewhere. Hawaii is, you know, not a bad place to do it. <laughs> I was gonna say it's not a bad spot. Hey, the partner picked this as as uh, one of their first sites for us to work on together. So, um, not complaining at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I was going to say, so a lot of it's, you know, working with existing clients, making sure things are going well, working with the team to ensure that everyone, um, you know, knows what the goals are, knows what things they should be working on and, and what success looks like. Um, a lot of times that means relaying messages from clients to, um, to our engineering team to ensure that our product roadmap stays up to date and that the things that clients are asking for, they're getting, um, and then occasionally, yeah, when I'm in fundraising mode, it's, it's talking to investors and even in between fundraises, it's keeping investors up to date on what we're doing, even if it's just sending out an email or giving folks a quick call to check right. in. You, fi- you find that's a very important thing to do, right? Every, maybe every quarter, every week or every other week or something to definitely yeah, keep I them do in it, the loop. I do it about once a month. I send out, I've got two email lists that I send out. One is current investors where I, I kind of give them, hey, this is the good, bad, and ugly. And then one is prospective investors. Um, it's a little bit more tailored, less less numbers because you never know who they're going to click forward to that mm-hmm. on. But um, but it's just giving folks a, a quick update on the things that, that are happening and the things that we're learning about the business. Gotcha. So before we get to our last question, I have one other question. And it has to do with entrepreneurship and just the whole journey of running a company. And for me, in my experience, running a company and, and building a business is a roller coaster ride. Um, there are really good days, there are really good minutes, and then, <laughs> and then and then things can change at like just like just like that. Um, how, how do you deal with those those bad days, those bad moments? What well, you know? What what do you do to kind of maintain uh composure overall and kind of just keep keep chugging along yeah you know i think the biggest thing is as i've as i've grown and as i've done this for a long enough time now uh one of the things i've realized is that if you are having a bad day or your day is just not going the way that you want you want it to go there's nothing that says you absolutely have to power through sometimes the best thing to do is take the rest of the day, go for a walk, go for a run, listen to your favorite podcast, whatever it is that you do to kind of decompress and go do that. Mm -hmm. Um, because at the end of the day, building a business, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And if you're not mentally in the right headspace and you just constantly don't put yourself in the right headspace, um, eventually you won't be able to run that marathon anymore. So taking the time for yourself, you know, walk out of the office, whatever it is, go take a little bit of a break, um, get your head in the right space. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that. I think that's something I uh, somewhat recently learned myself, to be honest, where where it is important if you have a bad, if you're having a bad day, or if you're just not feeling a hundred percent, like just don't feel, like just feel crummy or whatever. Sometimes it's okay, you know, you have to kind of re- get some new perspective sometimes on on things or just regain your headspace and and that and and that taking the day or the rest of the day or whatever wherever point of the day you're at where you just decide that all right, maybe I should just kind of step back from it is not it's not necessarily it's not that you're de- defeated or you're giving up, it's just that you do need people need time to kind of re- refocus their their brain and and at, at those points in time, sometimes I find I have some of my best ideas <laughs> when like when you Completely when you when agree. you're not thinking and you're not like so ingrained and like entrenched in in the, the minutia of it all. Right. Yep. I was going to say, I think that's why people say, right, like you have your best ideas in the shower or whatever it is, because it's and then when you you're forget not... them as soon as you step out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. You got to you got to make a note. You got to tell Siri to make a note for you. <laughs> They should. They, they need to come up with like a shower whiteboard. Exactly. <laughs> Someone needs to do that. I'm sure it exists. It has to. <laughs> um, hey, if so, not, business idea for any of the listeners out there. Exactly. So, last question before we get to the lightning round. I want to talk a little bit about the book you co-authored, um, because you and I are both millennials, and millennials get a bad rap um, for being lazy for pretty much ruining everything. And you co-authored this book, Two Billion Under 20. And essentially what the book does is it, it really shows the opposite is, is, is the case. And well, it can be the case. There are certainly people out there who are our age who may 
be like that, but I think the majority of them really want to improve uh, the world and or just improve their lives and they are working hard to do that. But why do you think people our age get such a bad rap and how can we change that? Yeah, I think a lot of it is probably misunderstanding, right? Um, you know, I think sometimes um, folks in older generations will say things like, exactly like you said, oh, you're lazy, or it's it's not like it's not like how it was back in my day. And <laughs> the reality is, you know, the world is changing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we see this with our technology, and we see this with the mindsets of people, and that's a good thing. Um, and so I think a lot of times, because it's different people kind of say, oh, that's different than me. That's no good. Um, And I think it goes both ways, right? I think people say it about millennials, and I think likewise millennials say it about other generations of, oh, that's different than us. That's not good. I I found myself recently saying, like, oh, the 90s, like, and then compared to, like, students (laughs) today, like, like teenagers and stuff today, like, it just, I'm like, and then I catch myself, and I'm like, Oh, wait, I'm doing what they're doing to us. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think the best way to yeah. change it is to try and understand it, right? And that's part of the reason why Jared and I, Jared is my co-author, why we mm-hmm. wanted to publish this book was because the only way that you can really truly understand other generations is by understanding their stories and understanding what it's like to be them growing up in a very different time period. Um, and the things that they're passionate about. And so that's really what the book is. It's sharing 75 short stories from kids across the globe who at the time of publishing, which was 2015, were 20 years old or younger. So giving that kind of fresh perspective on this is what the kids who are growing up now are thinking about and the things that they're doing and what technology has really enabled this subsegment to do at a much younger age simply because of their access to to knowledge and people yeah and and the book is great by the way it's a, the stories in it are well curated and well written and uh, if you haven't checked out the book i definitely recommend it it's it's a good read to kind of get just get a feel for like what you know young people are interested in and also what they what you know that they have aspirations to do big things and they're not all lazy, <laughs> and just because the things are different doesn't mean that that that, that they're that they're bad, right? Um, yep. So, oh, well, that was that was that was that was a good way to kind of wrap up. I think this conversation in terms of uh, raising money, getting intros, learning more about Forge, learning more about two billion under twenty, and, and millennials and what they're doing. Um, and Stacy, it's been really great having you on. But before I let you go, I have to have you run through our lightning round, which, of course, is supported by Wix, which allows you to create a professional website. And you can visit them at Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com. So, Stacy, whenever you're ready, you let me know and we'll get started. Let's do it. All right, here we go. Think carefully about this one. New York City or San Francisco? New York City. Nice. All right, that's a good. I'll, I'll, I think we're. I think we're done. That's all I needed to know. <laughs> What's your favorite artist or band? Oh, that's actually, a really tough one. Um, <laughs> what what is what are you I, listening to I, a lot lately? I love Billy Joel. Billy. Oh, oh my god. You know he's he's from he's from Long Island, New York. I know, I know. That's why New York was my uh, answer to number one. That makes that make it's all full coming full circle now. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> besides, besides investing in you, what's the coolest thing about Sir Richard Branson? About he's just getting super to know. Down to, he's just super down to earth. He's like he's just like a normal guy who loves to have fun and happens to be super smart and super accomplished. Nice. Would you rather have a jet or a yacht? Ooh, a jet. <laughs> I'm with you on that. Jet. I, I, you can go more places, I feel like, with a jet. At least, certainly faster. But a yacht would be cool, too, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> uh, la- last one. Yeah, last one. Here we go. This is a good one. I think it's very topical for some of the stuff that Elon Musk uh, just announced. Would you ever 
fly to the moon or another planet? Yes, a hundred percent. What? Just curious. What? What? What other planet would you love to visit if you could? Mars. I was obsessed with Mars as a little girl. I don't know why, but anytime you had to make those like science projects around planets, I would always pick Mars as my planet. Nice. Well, just so you know, my my current desktop background wallpaper is a high def image right now of Mars. I don't. It just happened That's, to be. We're on the same wavelength. I don't and even we, know. We must we're, be. <laughs> well, Stacy, it's been wonderful having you on the podcast. I really enjoyed it. I I, I think this was uh, a lot of fun, and I look forward to uh, keeping in touch with you and following your uh, your your company, Forge. If anyone wants to get in touch with you online, uh, what's the best place for them to do that? A few different places. People can feel free to add me on any social media: Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, or follow me for the platforms where you follow instead of add um, <laughs> feel free to also reach out on on linkedin and uh people can visit forge at joinforge.com uh is your is your handle all the same on all of them or it's stacy ferrera on all of them yeah gotcha. okay just wanted to make note of that so that way if they were people could look it up well stacy thanks again for joining us today i uh hope you have a great rest of your day likewise thanks so much for having me it's been great Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash besttechie and or by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.